the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. This fall is jam packed with major sporting events, big and small, important and useless. But here we are watching, listening, and certainly on Twitter with every single play that happens. The Athletic is home to incredible storytellers, relentless reporters, and insightful analysts delivering everything you need on every sports story that matters. Download the app, follow your favorite teams, and get a personalized feed of ad-free content that you simply cannot find anywhere else. Visit theathletic.com slash spottrek for 40% off your first year subscription. That's theathletic.com slash spottrek, S-P-O-T-R-A-C. Happy Monday evening. My name is Mike Trinetti. A little later in the week th- with this one. But there's plenty to talk about. And I'm going to open with this. I know I've beat it to dead for quite some time now, but it's just uh, it's tough to look away. I can go two directions here for you, people. I can go Dak Prescott for the 97th time in 2020, or I can go running backs with you. And I think I'm going to start with the running backs because, look, it's a positive, but it's bittersweet. I don't know how to look at it any other way. I mean, it's... You know, you have these running backs that are so dynamic and important, you know, in in the McCaffreys and the Zeke Elliott's, and these players have certainly shown their worth. But have they done it enough on a consistent basis? And, you know, here's the real discussion to have, and the Browns are exhibit A. You know, is there just enough separation between elite and very good or even good enough? That's the problem, and that's the problem I have when I sit down and try to evaluate these players every single year now for the past really five years. You know, and it's happening right now with Aaron Jones. Uh, you know, the Browns lost Nick Chubb, and fantasy owners were groaning across America, but the Browns didn't skip a beat. I mean, they went 300-plus yards rushing after Nick Chubb went down. Yes, they have Kareem Hunt, but he's banged up. He's not nearly 100%. I mean, they brought in people off the practice squad slash third, fourth string and made it work phenomenally. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was an absolute domination of, yes, a very bad Dallas Cowboys team right now defensively, but it seemed like they could have put anybody out there. Even Baker Mayfield was able to move around in that pocket and scramble for plenty of yardage. So, yes, this was a, a one-game scenario for the Browns, but the Browns have been doing this for two years now, and it's been a rotation between... Chubba Hunt and a few others in and out. We're seeing this with the Rams, who just gave up on Gurley and lost their high draft pick Cam Akers original, uh, you know, for the first couple of games here, and haven't skipped a beat. Malcolm Brown has been banged up, playing well. Andrew Henderson was banged up all off season and came out and has been one of the one of the superstar running backs of this league to start. So, you know, they didn't skip a beat. We've seen what Tampa Bay has been able to do, and certainly Leonard Fournette is only going to add to that. They've been great. Derrick Henry really hasn't gotten going for a Tennessee team that didn't get on the field yet this week. Seattle has a banged-up Chris Carson who can go out there basically at 75% and dominate, and his backup is banged up. You see teams that have three, four options, and they're going to need to use them all. And the problem right now, as I said originally here, is that there's just that not that much up or down. There's just not that much up or down. They're getting a pretty even keel outcome no matter who's running the ball. You know, the Bills are without Zach Moss for a couple of weeks. 
Devin Singletary steps in and is just fine. They don't even need the third option in Buffalo because Josh Allen can do what he needs to do. And we're, and that's oh by the way that's another part of it. I mean scrambling quarterbacks are now sprinkled across this league, and taking away carries from running backs. So another reason to think less of the running back position as a whole, as an entire. But look, I, they're important. I mean they're catching passes. I'm I'm in the middle of a game right now that's seen. New England and Kansas City, and you're seeing two running backs that can do it all in terms of James White and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So that kind of running back is going to be valuable. You know, I don't think anybody's going to gawk too much at Alvin Kamara's price tag, $14.5 million per year. But Latavius Murray is just as important to that team. <laughs> he, he is. And he's just as important to your fantasy team, too, if that's what you care about. So everything is being spread nicely right now. But I think eventually, and we're going to see this with wide receivers before we see it with running backs, it's going to get spread too thin, too thin statistically to pay and too thin statistically from a fantasy perspective, too. Two separate conversations, of course, but, you know, aligned at the point. The wide receivers, you know, you're going to have your big weeks out of your big wide receivers. And I'm going to keep the elite in their own corner. They still belong there. OK, and I'm including tight ends like George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. They belong in a corner similar to how you draft those kind of positions. You know, you're going to have your Michael Thomas who gets so many touches and targets that you have to keep him separate from a player like, for instance, Adam Thielen, right? But it's getting to a point now where maybe it's the offenses are synchronized with college football a little bit better. Maybe the spread offense is just more recognizable, maybe easier to understand for these kind of players. But the in and out, the turnover that is happening because of injuries, because of whatever, you know, free agency, trades, however the, the rosters are being up, turned over here. The wide receiver position just seems to be clicking. I mean, the passing is there. It's as big as ever. Ask, ask the Cowboys how the passing game is going and why they feel like they need four legitimate wide receiver options. You know, it works from an offensive standpoint. That's for darn sure. But you're seeing teams like the 49ers and the Eagles and tonight in Green Bay, send out four wide receivers that if you know three of them, you're a power NFL <laughs> fan, power fan. Um, these are just names that are not recognizable. They don't jump off any page. And they're living. They're winning. The Eagles win. The 49ers win. I think the Packers are likely favored tonight to win. It's just where we are right now. It is a depth league, and especially at these weapon positions. Depth counts. Depth is necessary. It's vital. And it's now working. And when all those things come together, what's going to happen to the money? You know, when is that going to start to trickle down? It hasn't yet. Okay. DeAndre Hopkins just got himself a self-represented $27 million per year in terms of a new money extension. And we know what McCaffrey and Kamara were able to do this year from running back position. It, you know, things are still progressing from a financial situation, but will there be a point where teams just say, wait a minute, I don't need one at 20, I need three at nine, or four at eight, and it's not a terrible idea. What are the Cowboys going to do when Michael Gallup is up, when CeeDee Lamb is up? Amari Cooper likely won't be on this roster still, either will Ezekiel Elliott. So they're probably banking on the fact that they've staggered this properly from a contractual standpoint. But what about the team that can't? And the Rams are kind of close to that right now. Now, the Rams just had to get rid of Brandon Cooks and get rid of Todd Gurley, and they 
turned it right back around and signed Cooper Cup and Robert Woods immediately, as long you know, as long along with a bunch of defensive players. But those two specifically, weapons. Knowing the running backs are going to be cheap now for three, four years, knowing Jared Goff's contract is going to level off here in terms of a cap situation based on where the league is going here, but they weren't afraid to immediately turn around after two kind of terrible contracts and throw two more at him. I mean, they, they kind of know what they are. It's, it's reckless to some degree because it's from a cap management standpoint, they're going to get caught together, but you know they're now staggered with Jared Goff. They're staggered with Aaron Donald to some degree. That's how teams have to think. And if Dallas has figured this out correctly, then, you know, you don't pay Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott in the same year. Maybe Jerry Jones knows what the hell he's doing, <laughs> right? And to transition into a Dak conversation here, as I promised you at the top here, um, look, there's nothing they can do right now. There's absolutely nothing that can be done outside of trading them. You can trade them. And somebody can take this contract, this franchise tag, and the pending situation in March off their hands. But I don't imagine that happens because they're one game out of first place, as we saw the Eagles win. Their one win and one tie has them in first place as of last night. So, you know, Dallas is right there. They just have to turn this thing around. The offense is certainly clicking, especially late in the game. The defense is all-world bad. And I tweeted it out today. Their, their numbers are huge on the offensive side of the ball, huge points. Huge yardage, but they can't stop anyone for a lick. They can't do it. Here's the numbers. I got it right from NFL.com, the stats, the stats manager on the, on the website. The Cowboys have the most yards gained per game in the league, 509. That's a huge number. It's, 50, it's 40 more than the next Green Bay. They are scoring 31 points per game, which is second only, third only to the Packers and the Seahawks, though Green Bay's number likely comes down tonight a little bit. Yards against per game. Cowboys are third to Seattle and Atlanta. Makes sense, you know? Those are, those are three teams in very similar situations from an eye test standpoint, right? Russell Wilson's been outstanding, and they're winning games because he's doing a little bit extra, and Chris Carson's doing a little bit more than I think anticipated right now. There's some players on the team that are going above and beyond, and I think that's probably what Jerry Jones said a week and a half ago on the radio show. You know, Dak's been unbelievable, but where's that last touch, that final winning touch to get us where we need to be? Because Seattle's defense is as bad. Now, here's the kicker. Points per game through three weeks. Cowboys, excuse me, four weeks. Cowboys, 36.5 points per game. Edging out the Falcons at 36 and the Jets at 32. That's not a list you want to be at, but they're there. They're at the top of the offensive, offensive list and at the bottom of the defensive list. So can you blame Dak Prescott too much here? No, you shouldn't. Yes, could he be a little bit more magical? I don't know. Is that even possible to ask of somebody? Be more like Patrick Mahomes, right? Is that what everybody's saying? I don't know. If that's probably not possible. But he's got the weapons. You know, I'm not sure Zeke Elliott's being used properly or fits well in this offense anymore. And that's a Mike McCarthy problem. Always has been with running backs. So you've got a $15 million per year running back who's fully guaranteed for the next year and a half. So you can kind of figure out what to do there. That might be a talking point by week eight or nine if Zeke is still kind of low man on the totem pole in terms of touches and production. But I don't anticipate anything happening in 2020 with that. After 2020, if the Cowboys are, you know, at the bottom of the NFC East and Dak has to be decided on, do you trade Zeke 
or and sign Dak? Do you let Zach Dak walk and build an offense back through Zeke? A lot of lot of question marks there. I mean, Amari is basically two for forty, fully guaranteed. So you're going to have Amari for one more year, which you want Amari. I mean, if as long as he's healthy, he's outstanding, and you want to have depth at that wide receiver position, as I just mentioned. But I could see them, especially if if a if a low salary cap situation happens next year, as we're anticipating. I could see a situation where the the narrative, there's a word for you, <laughs> becomes you know who stays, who goes, Dak versus Zeke. It's very it's very possible. And Dallas will take on some dead cap, of course, to trade him. But then the question becomes, who's going to acquire a high-priced running back? And that's really the, uh, the icing on all this discussion here. Uh, are we at a point now where that's not even possible? Is Zeke Elliott, a, number, a former number four overall pick who did get signed, who the Cowboys have given the bonus to? You know, is this an Odell Beckham situation where Dallas can eat enough of this cap through 2020 now? to attract a trade interest if it gets to that point. I'm not saying they should do this. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying I could very much see a bit of a, you know, who stays, who goes. That's all. An ultimatum, if you will. A Cowboys ultimatum because Jerry loves the, uh, loves the drama. That's for darn sure. Should Dak Prescott be paid? How the heck can you say no at this point? I don't know how you can say no. You can, you can claim he's got the best weapons in football, and the stats are padded because of it. But he's the guy making the throws. He's the guy standing in the pocket. He's mobile. He's doing everything you're asking a quarterback to do right now. And he's doing it knowing everybody's watching every move he makes because he's the guy in the franchise tag at a position where that really never happens. So uh, kudos to him. It's just, uh, you know, when he, when he goes for 500 and four-plus touchdowns a game and the Cowboys aren't winning, and they aren't winning, <laughs> it just feels kind of helpless, you know? They feel like lost stats, which, you know, I made the snarky, snarky tweet last night after the game basically saying this feels like a Russell Westbrook situation where the guy goes out there and works his butt off, puts up a triple-double, puts up huge numbers that we can all really love and appreciate, but at the end of the day, where's the championships, you know? And, then, and it's tough to say that about one athlete on a team sport, but, you know, we, you, you revere your superstars. Tech is the leader of that team right now. It's unquestionable. And he's holding up his end, and if they had a little bit of defense, just a little bit of defense, you know? I don't know what the heck is going on with Earl Thomas behind the scenes. A couple of teams have certainly tried to get him in for a workout, and they can't even get that far. But if any team need, needs just a little bit of defense, and a guy like Earl Thomas is sitting out there, you know, you've got to make that call at this point. They need to drop four to five points off of this defensive statistic. That's it. Then they win games. Okay, they're putting up 31, they're giving up 36. So it's not easy, it's not hard math. Okay, it's not hard math. They got to drop five points and they can start winning some ball games. Let's take a break to talk about Hip Parade. Have you ever wanted to take a shot at getting $12,000 of Michael Jordan rookie cards? Yes, that's right. That's how much some of these cost now. Or a $1,600 Tom Brady helmet, which may be going up as he starts to find himself with this Tampa Bay team. Five touchdowns, big-time yardage, big-time win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this week. For just a fraction of those prices, Hip Parade is the premier authentic autographed sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the country. Take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in the game, like Jordan, like Brady, how about Zion Williamson, Mike Trout, and plenty more. Fernando Tatis Jr., for instance. Watch those Padres come out tomorrow. Get your box today at Hip Parade's exclusive online provider, dacardworld.com. That's dacardworld.com. No one has more hits than Hit Parade. 
All right, for our first main story today, I want to focus on some hockey. I know that's uh, you know not the protocol generally, but it is NHL offseason here. The Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup just a few days prior. The draft is tomorrow, believe it or not, for those you don't know. Uh, everything's going to move real fast here. And then, of course, by the 9th, we'll be in free agency. So we've had plenty of extensions, plenty of trades. And that's kind of what I want to hit on right now because, generally speaking, the offseason for the NHL is kind of meh, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, nobody really knows when the draft comes around. It's kind of behind the scenes. And it's fair because many of these players just either never make it or they get buried in the minors for such a long time that it's it's kind of like an, oh, by the way, he was drafted by this team, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, similar to baseball in a lot of regards. But, you know, it's here and it's in, it's being it's happening amidst this ridiculous sports time right now when everything's important and taking up every night and you know, I, I wanted to give it some airtime because there is going to be a draft. And whenever there's a draft, there's going to be trades preceding that draft or happening during that draft. We did see a few this morning. The reason I want to bring it up is, you know, I kind of follow uh, as much of the chatter as possible without breaking my head with too much information with all these multi-sports. But, you know, I, I reference a list from TSN, which is really the, go- the place to go for a lot of this hockey talk. Um, the names that are being mentioned as the top trade candidates, not top because they're the best players, but top because they really think it's going to happen, are huge players. I mean, just gigantic, huge players. And, you know, I'm the reason I want to bring this up now is I'm wondering if this is the NHL's version of post-COVID or post-2020, heading to 2021, you know, this is what these sports are going to look like. You know, you're going to have maybe one of the best young defensive players in Ekman Larson and the, be- the best young offensive wingers in the game and Patrick Laine get moved here. Not to mention, there's seven goalies in the first t- top 20 of these trade candidate lists that I'm, that I'm referencing here on TSN. I mean, seven goalies. So you can have a whole goalie running back comparison conversation for you know another time. I've had it, by the way. I've had that one. Speaking of teams that, you know, a position that needs depth right now, it is the goalie. Um but, you know, we've saw a big, a big goalie move today in Devin Dubnik. There might be two or three more in, in the coming hours here. But I want to focus not so much on the names and the teams themselves, but just the whole idea that, yes, some of these middling teams generally try to get either cheaper and break it down a little bit or better, obviously, and try to swing it up again. You know, and, and every team has their own situation internally. But it just seems like right now, especially with high-priced goalies or older players specifically older players and that's what a lot of these players on this list are um after you get past those three or four just dynamic young guys who are sitting atop this trade list everybody seems active all the teams i mean there's a there's 15 to 20 teams here that have multiple players that could move and i understand it and when i start to reference the the cap situation for a lot of these teams you know and, and where the projections are going it's not an accident. This isn't a, you know, we hate our team. We just got to blow it up and start over. It's not what this is. And I really do think this is a precursor for what we're going to see in the NBA. And then for sure in the NFL, if and when that cap drops into the 180s or below even the 180 mark possibly. So, uh, you know, let's kind of all kind of collectively watch what happens here with some of these really big names in the NHL. And you'll kind of know. I mean, if it, you know, if, if a big enough hockey name gets traded, uh, it will make the the rounds. You know, you're not gonna. That's not gonna be kept in the dark too long, like many of these moves are. Unfortunately, 
Uh, and we'll certainly make note of it on Twitter and, and, and update our, our site accordingly, of course. But uh, just, it, you know, not that I have too many other lists from other years to compare to, but like I said, I've casually kept up with the rumors and the hot stoves in the NHL as much as possible, knowing it's fourth, fifth on the list of what I have to do on a daily basis. But it just feels like this one's ramped up a little bit. And whether it happens or not is inconsequential to me I, because I think the fact that we're here and that teams are at least entertaining the thought. And, and the reason they're here on this TSN list isn't that there's guys sitting around a table, guys and gals sitting around a table, you know, spitballing this stuff. They're hearing things. You know, there's phone calls being made. Agents are bumping elbows. You know how this stuff works. This is multi-sport how this works. So, you know, there's something out there with the, with these big players being moved, and I think there's a very good chance that maybe one or two or three major names move here during after the draft. You know, some of this might be might be about draft position, though, though that seems less and less important in the NHL than it does in really any other sport right now, if I have to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but really, it's about positioning themselves for 2021, not only as a hockey team on the ice, but financially speaking. And like I said, this is a small version, and the NHL is, unfortunately, the small version of a hard-capped league that's going to have trouble because, obviously, the revenue was way down, especially with the postseason. That, but, you know, the postseason is everything to this league. It's just everything. And it was a solid one from a, from a hockey standpoint, but not from a financial standpoint. I mean, the revenue certainly wasn't there. So we're going to see how these teams are going to react. And, you know, there's going to be some situations that made out better than others. And I think it's a situation where teams that went further into the playoffs and made a little bit extra money from it could be buyers here. <laughs> you know, that's something to think about. You, generally, we think exactly the opposite when it gets to an offseason, right? How do these bad teams poach a superstar off a good team who may be, you know, pushing up against that cap figure and just need to push away from it? I don't know if that's going to be the case, you know, because... You know, you know, at some point, the rich are going to have to get richer here just because the leagues are going to operate that way. You know, if, if we had this discussion about baseball right now, the Dodgers and the Yankees are one, two in payroll. The Dodgers and the Yankees are in, in the second round of the postseason. And I think many of us think they're going to the third round pretty darn easily. You know, the, the, the finals here. So when you look at the, the draft order itself, you know, the Rangers obviously moved way up, way up nine spots in terms of the lottery. To, hit, to get that number one pick. Will they keep it? I believe they will. Does that mean they move a veteran? I believe it does. I put them at the top of the list now. This is a middling team. You know, had a tough season, of course. They were going to be 10th in the, in, the, in the draft if everything worked out based on records. So, you know, they had a, an okay team last year. Not a great team or not a good team, an okay team. And they now have the number one pick. And generally speaking, what you do with that is – you know, you try to change your franchise. Well, that's not going to happen with, with these young kids. It just doesn't. You know, you don't get better with youth immediately. You need to have a good mix. But they have an opportunity now in a situation where the revenue is going to be down to use this pick and make this pick and bring in a player that can make an impact in a year or so and get rid of a veteran right now and make that trade. And I, th I think the same thing happens with the Kings. We've already seen San Jose make a move. They, they forfeited the uh, number three pick here to Ottawa. You know, a lot of these top teams are the big boys, the big boys. Detroit, they're way up here. Minnesota's sitting ninth. You know they're going to make moves, like I mentioned. They already made a goalie move here. Winnipeg is sitting 10th in this draft. 
And I really do think they make one of the biggest offensive trades of this entire offseason. I think it's going to happen. And, of course, Arizona, who forfeited their first pick to New Jersey here, they're sitting without a first-round pick. Are they going to move their young defensemen and get themselves back into this draft and find themselves ways to be cheaper because that Ekman Larson contract is big now? And, you know, that's something that another team will have to really think about taking on unless Arizona can retain some of that money. But, again, I'm not just speaking hockey here. I'm not trying to break down the offseason in terms of the teams and the players themselves. I'm trying to break down the structure of how this offseason may differ. And from a positive standpoint, I I think one of the differences is going to be big-time players on the move. And that's tough for cities to lose players like that. But from a business standpoint, I think we can all understand that now. We're all kind of savvy as fans who who pay attention to this stuff with sports that – you know, you can't fall in love with players too much anymore. You just can't. You know, it's always the, the, the age-old question, which jersey should I buy who's not going to leave in 18 months? Well, that's getting harder and harder now, isn't it? Uh, and I do think that's a situation right, right here in the NHL this offseason. And when I think about the Dak Prescott situation, when I think about in baseball, you know, all of these players that Cousin Dan and I broke down last Friday who are maybe looking for extensions or set to hit free agency, you know, it, it, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it right now to go out there and try to test a market that just might not be there? Especially in Major League Baseball, where we've seen that market just absolutely tumble. Tumble. Not even plateau. It has completely fallen off a cliff. So unless you are an absolute sure thing, like a Harper or a Betts, and I'd say the same thing about the, uh, the NHL free agency, of course, which, like, which, as I mentioned, is generally down anyway. You know, the, the high time for the NHL is the trade deadline. When teams have to react, they have to react, react with what just happened the past three months. Um, and, you know, we're seeing that a little bit more in the NBA, and, and it's been fruitful. We've seen a team who was the worst in the league at the trade deadline in the NHL, and the St. Louis Blues win the cup that same year because of moves they made, specific moves they made. They fired their coach, they brought in a superstar player and a couple of defensemen, and they went, they went big. They went all the way to the top. That's the kind of stuff that happens. We saw this a similar situation in the NBA the past couple of years. So, you know, the off-seasons can be up and down. They fluctuate. But all of these leagues are going to be in this similar situation right now where the regular season is going to be pushed back a little bit. You know, the NHL, who knows? The NBA, really, who knows? I mean, I'm hearing, like, February to start the NBA season. So is the NHL going to follow suit with that? I'm not sure we have a, a clear-cut answer, of course. But, you know, they're going to start their off-season right now this week. So keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on the trades. Keep an eye on uh, at spot Trek on Twitter. I'll try to make as much mention as possible of the really notable stuff from team cap situations to free agent signings, of course, the trades and, you know, the notable draft picks. Will some of these big time draft picks get moved? You know, I know Ottawa's trying to move out of five. You know, if you're not top three, generally speaking, you're movable. So, you know, any, any of those big moves, will they bring back a player? You know, a, a legitimate veteran player, not just prospects, not players who've been sitting in the AHL for a couple of years who, you know, unless you're a power user, like I mentioned, you'd have no idea what, who they are. That's a, that's a job for Cousin Dan, by the way, who is a prospect junkie. So keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on, uh, on the big time news out there. And let's see how the NHL has to react first, because they're kind of first in here. And uh, then we'll have a baseball offseason. Then, of course, we'll have the NBA offseason right there as well. So you know, how, how is this going to work? I, it, it, the NBA has absolutely no cap space, zilch. And we're estimating that the cap stays the same right now. 
So if that cap drops and there's a very solid chance, like a like a 75% chance that the cap's going down some level. So if it goes down even more, teams are going to be absolutely strapped. And and you know, it's a, it's a soft cap in the NBA, so it's about the luxury tax. Will teams be okay going through the luxury tax threshold just because they want to keep you know, the Bostons, the Miamis, the Portlands, specifically the Portlands, the OKCs, what happens there? What happens in Houston whenever this new coach is figured out? What happens in Philly now? What do they do? Do they keep that band together knowing they may be over all these thresholds? It's going to be a really interesting situation there. Or is it going to look a little bit like this, like this NHL situation where, man, we got some names out there. I, I think it might. You know, and, I, and I'm going to put the NHL and the NBA kind of as a, a 1A, 1B here because they really do think there's a lot of comparisons. Um, you know, season length, all that stuff, number of teams – Similar, super similar. So it, roster contracts a little bit the same. Obviously, the NHL has, has a bunch more players. But, you know, you've got your kind of core five, core six in the NHL. Obviously, you've got your core five to seven in the N- NBA. We're going to see the Ben Simmons, the Joel Embiid, the Chris Pauls, maybe the James Hardens. They're, they're going to be floating out there. <laughs> it's going to Paul George. These are names that are going to be out there. There's no question in my mind they're going to be out there. C.J. McCollum, Bradley Beal. That's just off the top of my head without even trying. There's going to be big-time names being thrown out there, not because their teams hate him. There's not a chance a person in OKC hates Chris Paul right now, what he just did with that team, with that franchise, after basically coming, you know, being begged, being begged to go there, being told he'd be shipped out, and then deciding, oh, we're going to keep you and see how this goes. And there they are in the middle of the playoffs. So th- all those names are going to be out there. They're going to be out there immediately. Whether or not it happens, we'll see. Let's start with the NHL this week. Let's see what kind of names get moved. Let's see what kind of recklessness teams feel like they need to do just in order to get themselves either cap safe or 2021 safe, knowing the revenue is just not going to be there. All right, and last but not least, a quick look at the Second round, first round, what do we want to call this? The first round of the post MLB postseason, I think we want to call it the wild card round, and now the division series round, sort of. How are these payrolls stacking up? It's pretty interesting. It really is. Even for people who don't care about this stuff, this has to be interesting. Yes, the top two payrolls made it this far. Yes, three of the top four payrolls made it this far. Then it gets interesting. So that's, of course, the Yankees, number one, the Dodgers, number two, and the Astros, number four. And by the way, some of these rankings have changed. So, you know, it's my pleasure, <laughs> air quotes, at the end of the year to go through and update bonuses that hit, incentives that hit, you know, actual minor league time that is invested from a lot of these players. And boy, oh boy, was there a lot of movement this year, as you can imagine, with the COVID, with the expanded rosters. There was a lot of up and down. And uh, my carpal tunnel is fully inflared, trust me. Um, so we did have some movement at the end of the year rosters. You know, that's why we do an opening day payroll. In a normal season, we'll do like an all-star break payroll check-in and certainly at the end of the year. So here we are at the end of the year. And the final, uh, the final payrolls, we've got number one Yankees, number two Dodgers, number four Astros sitting in this round. And then the Padres are ninth. They wound up being, a, you know, a top 10 payroll because of, Obviously, they're off-season moves, but also a couple, really three gigantic trade deadline moves. So, you know, they jumped themselves ahead of the Cardinals, barely, and sitting right behind those Giants. 
So they got themselves up there, and here they are in the second round, facing a big task with the Dodgers, of course. But good for them. So we've got four of the top ten payrolls into the second round of the postseason or the division series. Then we've got the number 28 Tampa Bay Rays, the number 27 Miami Marlins, and the number 25 Oakland Athletics. That's where, that's where it really gets fun. That's, uh, that's really great. You know, anybody who doesn't love parody, I, I feel like you got to look a little deeper in, down below. Yes, the Braves are there as well, number 14. That's about where the Braves always live. They never really go too high, and they certainly never get too low. Even in their bad years, they were paying, you know, the Freemans of the world and a couple of pitchers. So that's about where they live. They live, they kind of play the Patriots game, where being in the middle of the payroll life is a good life for the Atlanta Braves. So not even worth talking about. They're a good team. I would expect them to really raise some hay here in the second round. I like that Marlins matchup for them. They've seen them plenty of them in this shortened season with the proximity and the schedule. So I think that's probably a pretty smooth sailing for the Braves. We'll see tomorrow, though, on that one. But it's just interesting. Uh, I mean, you know, it, is lit- it was literally the year to either go all in and pay or break it down and hope you've got enough young, young talent to win for 60 games. Because you don't have to do it for 160 this time. You just have to do it for 60. Get yourself in, expanded playoffs, you know, bigger active roster. There were a lot of things going for those, those, those smaller income teams. You could really kind of build a close-knit relationship. And if you had some pitching, and that's what those teams have. There's no question about it. And a couple of home run bats, they also have that. You can hang, and you can get yourself through this small season and, and into this, uh, you know, the, like I said, this expanded postseason. So now we get, now we get to kind of see the matchup. Uh, we've got Yankees versus Rays. We've got number one versus number 28. We've got A's versus Astros. We've got number four Astros versus number 25 in the A's. We've got the number 14 Braves against the number 27 Marlins. And we've got the number two Dodgers versus the number nine Padres. Easily the the closest financial matchup we have in this second round of the postseason. So it's just not rare. It's not common, I should say. For it's Generally speaking, you know, we've got our Red Sox and our Yankees sitting on the top and our Astros who are well-paid. The Phillies generally get in. The Cubs generally get in. Those are all top eight teams in terms of payroll, and that's kind of annually. That's just where those teams have been. Didn't happen this year. That's for darn sure. So real quickly, I want to give a just a look at, because I'm probably not going to address this payroll situation again, you know, which teams really overachieved, obviously, the Rays are going to be. I mean, the Rays are the number one seed in the American League, and they are the 28th payroll. They win every award you can possibly hand out. You know, in the National League, I, I'd give it to the Marlins, but I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in the Marlins. Yes, they just got themselves through a wild card round, and Donnie Baseball is doing wonders with that roster, and he, he knows he's got a couple of real arms there. There's no question about it. Um, you know, I'd be remiss, though, not to look at that Padres roster because it isn't the Hosmers and the Machados who are really carrying that lineup. It's not. It's certainly not. I mean, and, and in terms of the, the pitching that they brought in, Clevenger has been out. You know, he hasn't even really got them over this final hump and into the second round even. So I, I just have to give them credit because the young stars are coming forward for that team. Tatis Jr. is going to be an absolute monster in this league. Even if the production never gets to Mookie Betts, his character and his personality is going to carry the day. It's something baseball needs so badly, and I hope to God they do not stall it. 
Let this kid f- wear what he wants. Let this kid flip a bat. Let this kid give a look. Let this kid be on every meme <laughs> the next morning. The, the sport needs it so bad. And, you know, the Padres are just cool enough. You know, that, that, that West Coast team that we really kind of forget about for a lot of years here, they're built, they're built really well right now. And, I, and we talked about it with Cousin Dan last week. If they can snag a Trevor Bauer, who's weird in his own right, and would be such a good mix and fit for that team, you know, that might be what they need to really compete with the Dodgers. I don't expect that to happen this week. I think the Dodgers are, you know, maybe a class or two above many of these teams, but certainly the Padres right now. So I don't expect it to go well this week for the Padres, but I don't want to deflate that conversation at all. I think heading towards next year, I'm in. I mean, you, uh, you know me as a Mets fan. That's my National League. <laughs> that's where my heart lives in the National League. But from a baseball fan, I want this team to get as good as possible, San Diego. I think they deserve themselves another free agent and another year, to, a full year, to see what they can really do over a long term. Now, maybe that won't be good for that team. You know, maybe the shortened season played right into their hands like it did for Miami for sure. But I give, from a National League perspective, I give the Padres a heck of a lot of credit for this year, for sure. All right. Happy baseball. Happy NBA Finals. We'll certainly touch on that in a couple of days here with Scott and see where the Lakers stand. Is it, you know, could this thing get even closer after Jimmy Butler's ridiculous performance? We shall see. We'll certainly get to that. And we'll wrap up week four of the NFL as well. Hopefully no more injuries. Plenty of quarterback talk to get to eventually. Josh Allen is making his case for his MVP run, along with the Russells and the Lamars and the Patricks. And he needs a contract coming up soon. So we're going to keep on that for sure because... Boy, oh boy, you know, Sam Darnold trending down. Baker Mayfield's kind of holding steady right now. Lamar is maybe a touchdown right now, not just because of the Kansas City drudging, but, you know, there's some question as to if he can be an actual long-term passing quarterback. It's, t- it's fair. I mean, we've had this conversation before, and I'm not trying to knock him. He's a ridiculously fun player to watch. But if I had to put his long-term skill set against Josh Allen's right now, I think I'd favor Josh Allen because somewhere, somehow, Josh Allen found some accuracy, especially on his deep balls. And if that's something he can maintain and, and sustain, that's a deadly weapon. That is a deadly weapon in the NFL. A, a, an accurate long-term passer with an absolute cannon. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Lamar has a chance to do that. I think he's got to show that a little bit more. And then there'll be absolutely no problem with him locking in for six to ten years, whatever it's going to be. But certainly the quarterbacks are fun to watch. We, we mentioned Dak. Like I mentioned, that's going to be an every week complete spotlight. And there's nothing Dells can do about it, but we can all sit here and speculate for sure. All right, thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>